You are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing the show for a while now, I often think to myself, blimey, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, and really I, not terrified, but very cautious when Amy says she has an idea because that usually spells trouble. You're often very concerned when I have an idea. I'm yes, Amy. I, am. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover. And even maybe if you aren't, I'm also a dog collector, a diet Coke addict, and I treat a good thrift store like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week, we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish topics like authors in the news, recent book-to-film adaptations, weird stuff we've Googled while reading, and our TBR count. We're glad you're here. So we're coming to the end of 2023, but we've still got books that might make it to our best of books of the year. So we'll do a year in review in January when we discuss our top books. But this episode is about notable books that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet this year. We didn't want to leave them out. That's right. And we should let you know, if you care, that we're making some changes to our format For next season. Next season will be season 10. And in May, it'll be, oh my gosh, five years doing this, which is nuts. We'll have 200 episodes by then. Wow. So we're going to be adding uh, a segment. Uh, This is all Amy's idea where we, and by we, I mean, mostly Amy, help listeners find new books to read on our book recommendation episodes. So episodes like this, where it's just uh, the two of us chatting. So does your book club need a new book that produces a great discussion? Do you have a middle schooler who's been unsuccessfully trying to find a new book to enjoy? Or do you want to dip your toes into science fiction, but you don't know where to start? If you're looking for a book suggestion of any kind, you can send us a message through our website or message us on Instagram telling us what you're looking for and what you've already read that may be similar. We, but again, mostly Amy, will give you a book suggestion for you to add to your TBR. Amy loves a project. These are the type of episodes that I like to listen to on other people's podcasts. So I'm excited to just, you know, dabble in it a little bit here. We're going to do it occasionally just to see how many people are interested in us giving them a book suggestion. But if we get a ton of them, then maybe we'll make it a more regular segment. I was heartened by the fact that somebody that is an acquaintance of mine messaged me on Facebook and said that she was going to Salem, uh, Massachusetts. And did I have any book recommendations of books about the Salem witch trials or set in Salem? And I gave her a book suggestion that kind of fit the bill. It wasn't about the Salem witch trials per se, but it was set in Salem and it talked about witch trials in the past. It was Hester by Laura Lico Albanese. And that person came back and told me she gave it five stars. So it's all this person's fault that I had this idea to do this. Now, what's going to happen if, you know, if you find out you gave somebody a book suggestion and then it's somebody, you know, on Goodreads or that you all follow each other and they give it a two, are you going to be down in the dumps then? I'm going to apologize and maybe, you know, (laughs) 
send them a please forgive me card. Oh my gosh. That sounds like you though. You know what I'm going to do? If somebody doesn't like my book suggestion, I'm going to go. You're going to say, oh, well. It was free. (laughs) What do you expect if it's free? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, So we're in the book prize season. Uh, So in the last month, I know that the Booker Prize has been announced. The National Book Award has been announced. Has the Pulitzer been announced? I don't know. I I mean, the only reason I know what's going on is because I'll see it. Either you will text me and say, hey, look, or I'll see it on social media that some prize has been announced. Yeah. Well, and I know the Hugo was announced mm, sometime this fall. That's for Mm -hmm. sci-fi fantasy. Which of these book awards do you pay attention to, to Carrie? I mean, to some extent, I pay attention to all of them. I mean, I should say I'm interested in all of them. But when I was kind of looking up information about them, the truth is, if you tried to stay on top of all the different prizes, you'd never read anything else. Because for each of these prizes, there's usually a long list, you know, that might have 10 books. And then there's a short list where they whittle that down. And you could spend a lot of time reading books that are finalists for prizes. So I try to pay attention to them. I try to dabble in all of them of the different prizes, the major ones. I would say that the Newbery is probably the one I've read the most of children's books, but not not picture books. That's the call to cod is the picture books. So Newberry is going to be like chapter books, typically for like late elementary or middle school age. And because I have taught middle school students the longest, that would be the one that I've read the most of. What about you? How do you feel about these prizes? Do you care? Mm, I care a little bit. I guess I think that if it's gotten one of these prizes, it gives it some gravitas, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that's going to compel me to read something I'm not interested in. Right. But it makes me think I should read it, but sometimes the things that they pick seem terribly, terribly dry. Mm. Well, I'm not going to talk about the book that I just finished, but I literally just finished it yesterday and it won Pulitzer maybe? And I'm giving it a three. I listened to it by audiobook and I would give the audiobook a four. But the book itself, I would give a three, which a three for me is maybe I didn't like, whoa, I love it, you know, but, you know, there's value in it. And so sometimes I feel like when I read something that's won one of these major awards and then I read it and I maybe think it's like a three, then I'm like, okay, did I not get it? Or, you know, like I, I rather than thinking it's the book, well, Am I just dumb (laughs) because I didn't give it five stars? Or I I guess that's kind of what I experience sometimes when I read a book that's won one of these awards and I'm like, okay, I don't give it five stars. I think most of these, the Pulitzer, the Booker, the National Book Award, those are all for literary fiction, generally. Well, at least with the National Book Award and Pulitzer, they have it enough. They have nonfiction. They, you know, they have it in other categories. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about the fiction point at this point. Right. They're literary fiction. And sometimes I feel like whoever the judges are pick things that might be a little bit more experimental mm-hmm. or deal with a, a hot topic issue. Sometimes and, they deal know, with moment in time. Like, yeah. 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 That's kind of the case with the, this book that I just finished. 
it deals with a certain country, a certain moment in time. And and the good thing is it gives you lots of information about it. But I guess unless it's your country, you know, you're kind of like, what's going on? I don't get it. <laughs> but it's not your country. So you're not going to you're not going to get it. And so there's some that I love, like there was a National Book Award winner, I don't know how many years ago, called The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. Mm-hmm. I love that book. But there have been others that have been award winners that I've tried and I'm like, oh, I, I can't mm-hmm. get through this. Right. But what I do think I maybe pay a little bit more attention to the awards that are the genre based like the Edgars or the Hugos, where they're given by writers of those genres to other writers (laughs) in those genres, those might mean a little bit more to me. They they just seem like they're a little bit more accessible. I did a a small little dive into some of the, these different awards. And the one thing I noticed, you know, like a lot of times you'll see the same names popping up for some of these, you know, like you mentioned the Hugo. That's true. Which makes sense. But if you want to branch out from stuff that you normally read, then mm-hmm. those type of awards aren't going to help you much. Like if you love James Corey and James Corey every year is nominated for a Hugo Award, that's not going to stretch you. Whereas, you know, when I look up the Booker Prizes, the guy who won this year, Paul Lynch, I've mm-hmm. never heard of him. And he's an Irish author. So I kind of feel like depending on what your goal is in terms of your reading might determine which of these awards might be a better fit for you. Yeah. I guess as I'm thinking about the Edgar and the Hugo, the category that perhaps I pay the most attention to is best debut novel. Mm. And in that case, all of them are going to be new every year. Right. Who are the new up and coming authors? We're going from these very elitist to the Goodread Awards. Right. You know, and so those are a different kind of award because those are all nominated and voted on by the readers. Mm -hmm. Do you vote in those? I think I have before, but I've changed my mind about voting because I feel like it's sort of popularity contest. It's like, absolutely, you know, because the thing is, you know, most people haven't read all the books in a certain category. They've read one book from that category and then they vote on it because they read that book. And so to me, that's not super helpful. (laughs) Like, was this good? One of our guests who was on the show this season, now she didn't make the finals, but she was on the long list uh, for Threads That Bind, Kika Hatsapulu mm-hmm. was on there. And I voted for her, but she didn't make it to the finals. Mm-hmm. And was so. that for Goodreads? Yeah. Oh, okay. So apparently you've been watching some TV. Well, we're almost done with Creature. Have I mentioned Creature? I'm the one who's suggested you watch it, even though yeah. I have not seen it myself. But I saw that it was a Frankenstein retelling, and I thought you might like it. Yes. So it's a Turkish production. and so. It's all subtitled and it's a different spin on the story. So if you're one of those people who, number one, likes Frankenstein enough that you would want to watch this, it doesn't follow the book exactly, but we're enjoying it. 
and I think we've got two episodes left, but it made me think about, you know, I teach Frankenstein, so I'm sort of always a little bit interested in different adaptations of it, if for no other reason that when I have students read it after they're done, I can say, okay, go watch this, go watch that. Because I think it, especially if it doesn't follow the book exactly, it adds to your understanding in Mm -hmm. some capacity. It sort of uh, expands that understanding. So watching Creature right now made me think about another adaptation that we watched. It was called The Frankenstein Chronicles, and it had Sean Bean in it. And he was in Lord of the Rings. If, if and you're... also Game of Thrones. He was oh, okay. in Game of Thrones first season as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so that series ran from 2015 to 2017. And I also discovered that there is a movie called Mary Shelley that's also from 2015 that stars Elle Fanning. And so I was like, oh, I'd kind of like to watch that. So you say Creature is a little bit different. What's What's the unique spin on it? So with Creature... Okay, so in the book, Victor Frankenstein basically takes a bunch of dead body parts and, you know, sews them together. His creature is a an amalgamation or a composite of like lots of different parts sort of put together. In Creature, the Turkish version of it, it is his mentor. So an accident mm-hmm. happens and his mentor dies. Mm-hmm. And then he brings his mentor back to life. But his mentor, because of the accident that happened, his skin has been kind of destroyed in places. So he still has that monstrous look about him, but he's someone that Victor Frankenstein knew and was friends with and who served as a mentor, which in some ways and again, this is what I'm I'm getting at about expands your understanding. It sort of makes that the hostility between them even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, so in Frankenstein, you have this creature that Victor Frankenstein makes. And then Victor Frankenstein is like, oh, you're disgusting. And he sort of abandons his creature, which would be bad enough, right? Like a parent abandoning a newborn child. But in the Turkish version, creature, they were friends before. So it's not only does he abandon this thing that he's done, this this creature, he's also abandoning his friend that has a history with him. So it makes that anger even more pronounced, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of, you know, it's kind of, again, interesting yeah. to think about. I mean, I know some people like it to follow things exactly, but if it's done well and it's sort of like what, like what you're saying, expands your thought on a subject mm-hmm. and still keeping with the gist, you know, or the intent of the book, I think mm-hmm. that that's a okay, I think that that is a good thing because it yeah. it promotes thought and discussion and very good. So Carrie, what what have you been reading? You just finished up a graduate class, yes, and you were sort of down on reading for a little while. Not well, down on it, but yeah, I just I just didn't have enough time to do <laughs> as much as I want. So I'm done with that. My school is done until January. So I have extra time to read, which is wonderful. I'm very happy. I finished a book called Crazy Land by Mar Ramosco Moore. And I heard this author speak at the Columbus Book Festival about this novel. You remember that? So she wrote this book during COVID. And it's a book for late elementary and middle school age. But I mean, I read it. And I would say that if you have any memories 
of playing arcade games at like Aladdin's castle in your local mall, or you're a parent and you spent any time at all taking your kid to Chuck E. Cheese, you will understand and appreciate this book. Brings back a little bit of nostalgia. So the story is about Nathan. He's a 12-year-old boy who discovers a portal to another world via the ball pit at his uncle's arcade slash pizza parlor venue. So <laughs> I think I think about the ball pit when I used to take my kids to those Playlands or the uh-huh. McDonald's and they were like, it's like a cesspool of, yes. of bacteria in yes. there. Oh yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So with help from a new friend who understands much more about this other world than anyone else, Nathan discovers that he has a little more courage than he might otherwise have expected from himself. So he discovers the portal, they go through and they find some weird things related to what you would find in the arcade. So it's very imaginative. It, again, brought back memories of, of Aladdin's castle and playing video games. It definitely reminded me of taking my kids to places with ball pits and, and those tunnels where they climb through. So, you know, if you're interested in that, I think even as an adult, you would enjoy it. But if, if you have a, a young person in your life who likes video games or, you know, is sort of interested in portal fantasies, this would be a book that, that you should probably recommend to them. Again, it's called Crazy Land by Mar Ramosco Moore. Cool. I, re- yeah. I remember seeing her talk about it and yeah. she, she was a pretty interesting person herself. So right. yeah. She yeah. Was me- it was memorable to me. So what about you? What have you finished up lately? I know you're going to cringe, but I am still reading holiday books. And mm. I finished one recently that it's set during Christmas. It's not really focused so much on Christmas, except for that Christmas provides the story, the needed structure that it needs. So the name of the book is called Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornack. And it's the story of the Birch family. So there's two aging parents and two adult sisters who must quarantine together for seven days over the Christmas holiday at their sort of rundown family vacation home in rural Britain. And it's the first time in many years that all the Birch family have been under one roof. So one of the sisters, Olivia, she's a doctor who serves in countries with disease outbreaks like working for like the WHO, something like that. And she has just come from Liberia, where she's been dealing with a deadly virus that sounds an awful lot like Ebola. And she can come home, but she must quarantine for seven days before she can go out in public. So they all go to spend the holiday at this vacation home that's been in the family for years. One sister is incredibly self-absorbed. The doctor's sister is so serious as to be a complete buzzkill to everyone else on the holiday. The mother covers up her discomfort by trying to obsessively mother everyone and chatting incessantly. And the father is just, he's kind of a cold fish. He's a bit pretentious. Each of the family members have secrets. None of them get along particularly well. And certainly not to spend seven days with each other nonstop and throw in an additional character who is the long lost uh, secret son of the father who decides he wants to come meet everybody at Christmas. So you have a, you know, what sounds like going to be this like zany family story. 
And it is. In fact, it reminded me of one of my favorite holiday movies, which is called The Family Stone with Diane Keaton. I think it was like, I don't know, from like maybe 2013. And it's like dark comedy. So it sounds like this would be a light read. And, you know, it starts out that way. But there are definitely some issues that the author sneaks in there that make it a more substantial read. So it was written before COVID in 2017. And that interested me because almost all of us have had to do a quarantine of our own at this point, whether it's with family or other people. So in some ways, we can all relate to the circumstances of this story, which to me made it all the more enjoyable. Maybe not to everybody. Maybe for somebody, it would be like bad flashbacks. But (laughs) for me, it was a nice read that was set during the holidays, but not necessarily your frothy holiday read. So again, the name of that was Seven Days of Us by Francesca Hornack. So when you were talking about this book, it made me think, and I don't know whether you would say it's a similar read. It made me think about This Is Where I Leave You by Jonathan Tropper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a little bit like that. Yeah. Okay. It's not quite as funny, maybe, Mm, as that one. Okay. Yeah. Is it sentimental? Would you say? Like, would I like it? Since you know that I don't like sentimental. <laughs> well, I will say that it has a happy, well, it doesn't have a completely happy ending. You know me. I don't love yeah. like the, the really sugary stuff. It's not super sugary. Okay. Let's say that the family does come to understand and appreciate each other better. But there are some things that you know, that happen that are not completely happy. Okay. So, okay. We need to like take a break, gather our strength, get ready to talk about these 10 books that we haven't gotten to talk about yet in 2023. And we want to give them some love. We'll be right back. We are back and I'm, I think I'm ready to talk about these notable books that we want to make sure we discuss, let people know about before the end of 2023, which is quickly approaching. So I had a lot of extras that I thought, oh, I really like that book. And somehow I just never talked about it. So we're going to talk about those yep. today. Yeah. You want to start? So, sure. The first one I'm going to start with is one that I read fairly recently and I loved it. It was almost a five-star book for me. It's called Walking with Sam, A Father, a Son, and 500 Miles Across Spain by Andrew McCarthy. Now, I have a soft spot, first of all, for travel memoirs, but also books about walking. I don't know why, but I do. Like I, li- I like books where people are hiking or walking and they have time to think and, you know, about all their life's problems or what have you. That, that's like a, a niche kind of book for me. So this one is a travel memoir written by the former Brat Pack member and 80s heartthrob, Andrew McCarthy. So if you are a, you know, 80s girl like us, he was in movies like St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink. In fact, he had a memoir out a year or two ago that was about his time being in the Brat Pack in the 80s and early 90s. But this is his second memoir. And this one is about taking a trip with his son, who's on the cusp of adulthood. He's he's 18, on the Camino de Santiago across Spain. And if you aren't familiar with what the Camino de Santiago is, it started as a religious pilgrimage, I think, in the medieval times to this shrine that's in northern Spain. But in more recent years, 
people, even non-religious, hike the Camino as sometimes a bucket list item, just like they would say, oh, I want to run a marathon or I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, whatever it may be. Or it's a way to sort of reconnect with themselves. So Andrew McCarthy did this trek when he was in his 20s and he was in a bad place in his career and personally, and he credits his trip in his 20s as helping him get back on track. And it's always held this sort of special, nostalgic place for him. So he was ecstatic when he finally got his son, Sam, to agree to do it with him before he graduated high school. So if you have a child who is now a young adult or will be soon, I highly recommend this book. It really demonstrates the tension between wanting your child to sort of stay a kid and being nostalgic about that, but also wanting to help them make their way into the world. And it hits on that generational divide in such a touching and funny way. Sam says things that remind me of things that my kid would say. And it was funny to me to see Andrew McCarthy, who was like one of those movie stars that I, you know, had a big crush on now sort of be this stodgy father being frustrated that he couldn't get his son up in the morning at the time he wanted him to. And in the process of this walk, they both discover things about themselves and each other. And I just loved it. I listened to it on audio and McCarthy and his son narrate. It was just perfect. So Uh, Again, the name of that is Walking with Sam, A Father, a Son, and 500 Miles Across Spain by Andrew McCarthy. Very good. You love an audiobook narrated by. I do. Yeah, it hit hit lots of boxes. It had the walking thing. It was a travel memoir. It was narrated by the author. And, you know, it had a star that I used to have posters on my wall about. (laughs) It was good in many, many ways. Okay, so what about you? So what's your first one? My first one is called The Weight We Carry by Christina Consolino. Now, Christina was a guest on the show a couple of years ago. It's hard to remember. All the years blur. She was on the show when she talked about her debut, Rewrite the Stars. Well, this book, The Weight We Carry, I read it so that I could write up a profile of Christina for Literary Mama magazine. And man, what a gut punch read this is. So it's the story of Marissa, a married woman with a family and a job, who is also the de facto caretaker of her parents who begin to have some serious health issues. So the story begins with her father, Frank. He experiences a tumble and ends up in the hospital and then in rehab. But what lurks in the background of the story is something that Marissa's mother, Angie, something involving her that slowly becomes apparent as the novel unfolds. So if you are an adult child of older parents, this story feels so completely relatable, even if they aren't yet experiencing health crisis, because those are coming. (laughs) So maybe read this book to sort of be prepared for what could happen. Readers feel the range of emotions, including frustration and resignation, but there's also a lot of love and humor in the book as well, particularly between Marissa and her brothers, who, you know, they're the adults in the room in this story, but they also provide the humor and the support for each other as they navigate this sort of treacherous road. I really love this book, The Weight We Carry by Christina Consolino. Very good. Well, and you love a book about 
things oh, falling dying. apart. <laughs> falling, things falling apart. You love the book about things falling I do. apart. I do. I do. This was a good one. And, and again, you know, I'm 50. My parents are in their 80s and they have weathered some, some health crises. And, you know, reading it felt like, oh, other people know what this is like. You know, Christina, a lot of this, she took from her own experience. I mean, it's a fictionalized story, but it's based in her own experience. So, so I recommend it. All right. What's next for you? Well, my next one is also about older people, but it's funny. It's a cozy mystery. It's called The Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp by Leonie Swan. And so if you like books about senior citizen protagonists and funny situations, books like A Man Called Uva or The Thursday Murder Club, this is another book to add to your TBR. So in the last few years, there seems like there's been this plethora of books coming out where older people are doing cool and interesting stuff. Things Finally. Yeah, things we don't really expect them to do. So in this book, there is a group of quirky senior citizens who share a house together. It's called Sunset Hall, and it's in a small English town. They take care of each other as an alternative to their children wanting to put them in assisted living facilities. And at the beginning of the book, one of them has been murdered on their property grounds, and they want to cover it up. But just at the same time, the police come knocking at their door to ask them about a murder that happens at the house next to them. And as more older people are dying in the village, but for unnatural causes, Agnes and her roommates must solve the mystery. And there is a fun pet turtle. And you know, I love an animal sidekick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this was just a, a fun little cozy mystery romp. And it's the first in the series to come about Agnes and her friends. One of the quirky characters reminds me of Rose on the Golden Girls. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Does she tell stories about St. Olaf or some other ridiculous hometown? It's sort of like if you took Rose from the Golden Girls and combined it with the character in Harry Potter, who was the teacher... That oh Emma, my gosh! Yes, uh, Emma Thompson plays. Emma Thompson plays, oh. where she's kind of hippie, you know, out there. She's the one who has the pet turtle. Oh man, and she's super funny. So yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but it's, the whole thing is sort of like the Golden Girls. You know, these people mm-hmm. sort of sharing a house, you know, together, but they're older than the Golden Girls. I mean, okay. really, if you look at the Golden Girls, have you ever looked at what age those women were when they played? Ridiculously those? young. They were our age. They were our age. I know. So these are much older than that. So uh, again, the name of that book is The Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp by Leonie Swan. What's number two for you? So I read a book. This was an Amazon first read way back in March 2023. It's called House of Gold by C.T. Ruizzi. It is a sci-fi story that begins in an underwater lab where genetically perfected individuals called proxies fight and negotiate with with each other. They are advised and protected by what are called their primes. The primes are their lifetime bodyguards and companions created especially for them. So in some ways, you you start reading this and you get the feel of kind of like an Ender's Game type Hmm. story. So it's kind of like the proxies, the perfect individuals are battle playing in this contained environment. But the lab is attacked and there's five survivors, two primes and their proxies and then another character. And they emerge at the water's surface and they quickly learn that what they've been told about the powers that rule 
isn't completely true. So this is a story of politics, of intrigue, of backstabbing, and loyalty. But the most important issue is whether any of these characters live for themselves or live only to serve a goal that was handed to them by people that they can no longer trust. So if you like sci-fi, if you like Afrocentric reads, or if you like books, you know, that are kind of about that intrigue and politics, then this would be a good choice for you. Again, it's called House of Gold by C.T. Ruizzi. He's a, a Zimbabwe author. Oh, cool. Was that a book in translation? Do you know? Uh, I don't think so. He was born in Zimbabwe, but I believe he attended college in the United States. Okay. So I don't believe it was. Well, my next one is more of a tearjerker. It's called The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell by Robert Dugoni. This is a coming of age story that I read, and so did you, Carrie, because it was one of our book club selections earlier this year. And it is about a boy named Sam Hill who is born with a genetic mutation called ocular albinoism that gives him red pupils in his eyes. And he, I don't think he realizes that there's necessarily anything different about him until he goes to school. And he is bullied at school. People call him Devil Boy or Sam Hell especially at this Catholic school where he attends. And his mother has very devout faith and believes that God made him this way and he will persevere. But he has this group of misfit friends, Ernie and Mickey, who who they stay friends throughout adulthood. So this is a family story, but it's also one about loyalty and redemption. I am not usually a crier, but many in our book club needed tissues for this one. So not me. Your, not... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't cry either, but very rarely do I cry yeah. reading a book. Um, but if, you know, some people love a tearjerker. And so if that's your jam, uh, pick this one up. Again, it's called The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell by Robert Dugoni. Yeah, I liked it. I just didn't cry over it. As I was reading people in our book club or other reviews on Goodreads, there were lots of people who said that this one was a tearjerker for them. Hmm. Well... Um, my next one should cause you to have tears. Oh, okay. Uh, because it's The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. And Colson Whitehead does not write easy to read novels. Readers get the full sense of the horrors that are often found in Black history. So this is the story of a Black boy named L. Wood who has lots of potential. He's a good student. He's getting ready to go to college. But then he's thrown into reformatory school because he made the innocent mistake of hitching a ride with a man who stole a car that Elwood, of course, knew nothing about. So Elwood's sent to this reformatory school because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time and had nothing to do with actually the stealing of the car. So at the reform school, Elwood tries to toe the line to survive, but he hears witnesses and experiences some of the cruelties that went hand in hand with such reformatory schools, and honestly still probably does. This novel is based on a real-life reformatory school in Florida called the Dozier School. When it was going to be demolished, investigators found all kinds of unmarked graves of boys who died horrible deaths. Many of their families were told that the boys had run away from the home. So the, the families 
you know, their their sons were dead, but they were told that they had run away. So while this story, The Nickel Boys, is set in the 1960s, here's what's a little bit mind-blowing. The Dozier School didn't shut down until 2011. Oh my gosh. Which means that what feels like long ago history in the novel wasn't that long ago. If you are interested in Black history, if we think about nonfiction books as as the way to learn things, but I find that I can learn an awful lot from fictional stories, especially ones like these that are that are based on real places. So again, it's The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. We were just talking about book prizes and how there's the long list and then the mm-hmm. finalists. One of my long list books for this episode was another Colson Whitehead book. Oh yeah, I read, but I decided not to do it because you were going to talk about a Colson mm. Whitehead book, but Harlem Shuffle, yeah. which is more of a uh, heist book. He writes all kinds of different books. Did you know he wrote one about zombies? No. Yeah, he wrote, a, he wrote a book about zombies in New York City. He's written hmm. The Nickel Boys. He did The Underground Railroad. Railroad, I've read a, that one. And then this uh, Harlem Shuffle. And then there's another book that I can't think of the name of. It's the second in this Ray Carney series. It's heist books. He, he writes all kinds of different things. Hmm. I think it's really cool when an author can do that. It has a very broad base of their work. So that's cool. All right. What's next for you? I have another mystery, but this one's a little bit different. This one's called it's called Mastering the Art of French Murder by Colleen Cambridge. That is a play on the title of a very famous cookbook called The Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And so this is a new mystery series that's set in post-World War II Paris. It stars an American, Tabitha, who comes from Detroit to France to stay with her French grandfather for an extended period of time. And she strikes up a friendship with another expat named Julia Child. Yes, that Julia Child, the iconic cooking maven. So Julia is her neighbor in this apartment building and she teaches Tabitha how to cook for her grandfather and her uncle. So Tabitha works as an English tutor and a member of the staff for an American theater troupe. But when a woman turns up dead in their apartment building's cellar after they all attended an after theater party at Julia's uh, flat, Tabitha is determined to find out who is committing murder. So this was a light fun read that really gives you a great feel for Paris A friend of mine actually was traveling to France this summer and I recommended this book to her and she adored it and said that it was just the perfect thing to read, to give her all the Paris vibes uh, before she traveled there. So this one is also supposed to be the first in the series. There's supposed to be more. I think it's called An American in Paris is the name of the series that stars Tabitha and Julia Child as a young woman. Again, the name of that is Mastering the Art of French Murder by Colleen Cambridge. I guess I've read more mysteries this year than I apparently do. Yeah, you know, I go through stages. I go through stages. So it'll make you want to go to Paris. Well, and I was just thinking you had somebody else tell you what a good book recommendation you had given them. Hence, more more evidence that you need to pursue this little idea of yours this little this little side hustle that's right that's right your little unpaid side hustle (laughs) okay what's what's next for you all right so this is a non-fiction book the book is called misquoting jesus the story behind who changed the bible and why by bart ehrman so what i find most fascinating about bart ehrman 
He's a distinguished professor at the University of North Carolina and a longtime biblical scholar, is that he used to hold ultra-conservative views on the Bible. But you get the sense from this book that his studies of the actual history of the Bible and its many translations led him to reconsider those views. So he definitely doesn't hold those anymore. This book is about all the various changes the Bible has undergone over its many years. What is the biblical canon has been curated for readers by individuals with vastly different belief systems and goals. And as each person recopied editions over the years, they made changes based on their own personal beliefs and considerations of the time. So for many of the books of the Bible, there are no originals to look at. There's only copies. So to even know what the original Bible says is impossible. Plus, they had to contend with translations, which are always tricky, especially when one is translating among and between three or four different languages. In this case, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. And then you got to throw in English. Hmm. So if you believe the Bible is written by God and without error, this is a book that will implode your worldview. But if you are curious about how the Bible has been translated and understood over the centuries, you'll find this book very insightful. So again, it's called Misquoting Jesus, The Story Behind Who Changed the Bible and Why by Bart Ehrman. I think I heard him interviewed on NPR, maybe Mm. on Fresh Air, maybe something else. And it was a fascinating interview. And he's written a ton. So there are several of his books that are on my TBR list. I mean, I have an interest in uh, religion in general, mostly because I love being a skeptic. And and I mean, that's that's me on everything. Uh, I tend to be like, okay, but why do we think this? Okay, you know, I like to get in the weeds. So it was interesting. All right. So are you are you at your last book? I'm at my last book and okay. it's a dark one. I'm, I'm ending with a horror book. Maybe I should have oh. put that in the middle. Uh, this is one that I read during my spooky season reads and I never got a chance to talk about. Uh, it's called The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. And this one, you know, it, it's kind of maybe a controversial pick on my part, because when you look at reviews on Goodreads, Readers either seem to think this is brilliant or that it's complete trash. (laughs) So (laughs) I fall on the side of it being brilliant. And so this is a horror novel. It's recently been adapted into a movie by M. Night Shyamalan. That's how I say it. Shyamalan. Sorry if I mispronounced (laughs) your name. It's And so the the movie version is called Knock at the Cabin. I have not seen it, so I can't comment on it. But in the book, it starts out with a little girl and her two dads who were on a getaway vacation in a remote cabin on a lake in New England. So the little girl is playing by herself in the front of the cabin. The dads are in the back, you know, drinking a beer, relaxing, when a very large man walks down this gravel road because they are miles from anything. Like I said, this is a remote cabin. He's very friendly with the little girl. He plays with her for a while, but then he says, none of what's going to happen is your fault. And now, and now coming down the dirt road are several other people wielding strange homemade weapons. So in the most basic way, this is a home invasion horror story. But then what becomes strange, but to me wonderful, is a mix of thought-provoking drama about saving the world, conspiracy theories, 
and how good people are convinced to do bad things. So I know that that all sounds vague. Don't want to say any more to give away too much of the plot. My guess is that the people who thought this was trash didn't like the ending because the ending is a little interpretive. But that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. So if you're a person who does not like sort of a an open-ended finish to a book, this is not going to be the book for you. I fell on the side of really enjoying it. So again, the name of that is The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. Hmm. Yeah. I have not read anything by him. I read one other by him last spooky season called A Head Full of Ghosts. And that was about a teenager who is supposedly possessed by a demon. Or was she just, did she just have mental health issues? And a camera crews come in to, to film it for like a, a documentary. Hmm. But that one was really thought provoking too. I, I feel like his horror gives you a lot to chew on. They ask some very intellectual questions, I feel like, hmm. but wrapped up in a horror genre. And I will say that this book, The Cabin at the End of the World, it is kind of gory at parts. So, you know, if that's something that's going to bother you, if that's a trigger for you, you probably need to skip this one. Well, that's a perfect segue into my book. We were thinking alike. The last book I'm going to talk about is called The Night Eaters, Volume 1, She Eats the Night by Marjorie Liu. And it is a beyond weird graphic novel that I would say probably would be considered a horror graphic novel from 2022. And it's about two Chinese American twins, Millie and Billy, and they are kind of spoiled and annoying. And it becomes clear that their mother, Ipo, is not happy with their general attitude. So she ropes them into cleaning up the neighbor's house, which was the site of a nasty murder. And it is there that they learn some surprises about who their mother actually is and what that may mean for them. So this is the first of at least two graphic novels. The second volume I have not read, but I have requested it from the library, is called The Night Eaters, Volume 2, Her Little Reapers. And that was published this year. So I'm not sure if that will finish up the story or if there will be even more volumes to come. But Marjorie Liu has done a lot of comics and and graphic novels. So I anticipate that there's going to be more than just two. But I mean, it's definitely weird. So if weird graphic novels are your jam, check this one out. The Night Eaters, She Eats the Night by Marjorie Liu. That those poor kids, Millie and Billy. What kind of what kind of sadistic parents are those? I, I oh my know. gosh! I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. We've given you ten new books to look into. But before we go to our last segment, we're going to have a fellow book lover tell us about their five star read. We begin at the end by Chris Whitaker. I read this book in 2020 and it's still one of my all-time favorites. The story centers around a convicted killer, Vincent King, who was released from prison after serving 30 years for murder. He returns to his hometown, Cape Haven in California. His ex, Star Radley, who's also the sister of the girl he killed, and her children, Duchess and Robin, live there. Duchess is 13 and fiercely protective of both her little brother and her mother. 
the author weaves an intricate plot around the characters and as a reader you become really invested in all of them for me especially Duchess Day Radley and Walk who is the sheriff. We begin at the end as a murder mystery but much more than that a portrayal of small towns, secrets, various side characters to the story, relationships, sadness, hurt and yet there's hope too. I have recommended this book to so many people and will continue to do so just like I am here. My name is Carol Small. I live in Kiltiernan in Dublin. You can find me on Instagram as Poirot and Pino, where I post reviews, recommendations and lists. My list of books to read is ever-growing, mostly down to the amazing Bookstagram community. All right, we are back. Amy, is there anything that you are loving right now? There actually is something that I am loving. So... You and I have had the dilemma, you know, we get all these arcs from publishers and from authors, and we've been struggling a little bit to know what to do with them. You know, for a while, I donated them to the library, or we've donated them to, you know, some used bookstores. That's fine. But I decided recently to try something new, which is to take them, put one of our little bookmarks in it and put it in different free little libraries around town, wherever I happen to be. You like when I'm running errands and things. There is an app for this. It's called, it's the little free library app and it uses your location and it tells you all the free libraries nearby and the address and you can just go check it out. So I've started doing this. I have, I think maybe posted twice on our socials about the places that I've been to put books in and I'll take a picture of the book and the picture of the free little library. I love how varied all these little libraries are. They all look a little different and they sometimes they have their own little theme going on. It's kind of fun. There was even a person on Instagram who contacted me and wanted to know where these free little libraries were. I asked her if she wanted a hint and she said yes. And she went and found them and then took took a picture and sent it to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, I hope you enjoy that book. She goes, no, no, I've read the book. I didn't take the book. I just wanted the challenge of finding it, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was kind of fun. But the thing I wanted to mention this week is that I had some help putting the books in the free little library when I went. My daughter is a volunteer at our local animal shelter, Louisville Metro Animal Services. She volunteers several times a week. And I have signed up to be a volunteer, but I haven't gone through the the last step, which to go through this like little orientation. But they have this program there where you can take the shelter animals on a field trip. And all that means is that you go in and you get the animal and they give you all the stuff you need. There's actually a little backpack filled with things like treats and a water bowl and, you know, poop bags and all kinds of things. And on the backpack, it says, you know, we're going on an adventure with the little Metro Animal Services or something. It's very cute. And the, the dog will wear like either a bandana or maybe like a little sweater or a vest that says adopt me on it. And then you can take them out anywhere you want to go. Like if it's a nice day, take them to the park, take them for a hike. It was not a nice day the day we went. We took this cute little dog named Copper. We took him to Lowe's and on a walk around the neighborhood. But we also took him to drop off some books at free little libraries. That was a really fun thing. And I think that I might try to do that more. Like I'd like to do it. Like every time I drop off books at the library, take a different dog. You know, how fun is that? This was the sweetest, sweetest dog 
I hope he finds a home real soon. I don't know if all shelters do this. This is, but this was a really great program because not only do the dogs get to get out of their kennel for a while, you know, for a sort of a mental health break, but it gives the the staff at the shelter all kinds of information, useful information about the dogs because it's really hard for them to get to know all these dogs well. Uh, mm-hmm. When they have so many there. And so it gives them information like, do they walk well in a leash? Do they seem to know any commands? Uh, you know, things like that that help them, you know, be able to help potential adopters know more about the dogs. So I'm sure I would get one that would puke all over my car and I'd be <laughs> like, well, they don't like they don't like to ride in the vehicle. Well, that's another piece of information. That's a useful piece of information. <laughs> This guy, every time I got out of the car, he wanted to get in my lap when I got back in, like snuggle in my lap. And he was probably a 50 pound dog. (laughs) He thinks he's a lap dog, but he was very Mm. sweet. So that's the thing I'm loving. Little free libraries, taking shelter dogs on field trips. Oh, you're such a good person. (laughs) You want to hear something I'm hating? What are you hating? I have a little bit of a cold. And so it's... Yeah. yeah. I mean, this one is very mild. Like I'm not sneezing constantly. My nose isn't running constantly. It is, it is mild, but it's making me cough in the middle of the night, mm. which is, which is annoying, not only to me because it wakes me up, but it's also annoying to my husband <laughs> because it wakes him up. So yeah, it's low key hate because it could be much worse. I could be feverish and achy and sneezing and honking and wheezing and all that stuff. I I am not a part of a three piece band at this point, but it's, it's a little annoying. So, <laughs> well, let's do the TBR. Yeah. What, what's your count right now? Oh, 1,146. Mm, okay. I'm at 665. Well, you know me, I, I have I trouble with moderation. I know you do. All right. So what's a book that you've added? One book you've recently added to your TBR? Well, we talked a couple weeks ago about going to Noir at the Bar that had all Mm -hmm. these crime noir writers like S.A. Cosby and J.H. Market was there. There was another author there who I have heard of, but I have never read anything by. And he did such a good reading of his work at the Snore at the Bar that I added one of his books to my TBR. So the author's name is David Joy. He lives in North Carolina. And I added his book, Those We Thought We Knew. And it is a novel about this small North Carolina town And the description says the evils that unfurl from its center. So there's a, uh, a young black artist, a a woman who she returns to this small town in the North Carolina mountains to do a little genealogy and complete a graduate thesis. But there's a Confederate monument in the heart of the town. And so I think she's sort of making it her mission to maybe get this statue taken down and then all the unpleasantness of all the people who live there comes out. Mm-hmm. And what the description says is that what do you do when, when the people that you've always known turn out to be monsters? <laughs> what do you do when everything you ever believed crumbles away? So there's something about that that like pulled me in because I think about, you know, on my neighborhood Facebook page and I see people who are my neighbors saying things or making comments that appall me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's in a small way. So that book interests me. Name of that. Those We Thought We Knew by David Joy. 
Hmm. What about you? Okay. I recently added a book called I Am Not Your Eve by Devika Panambalam. Uh, And this book is actually shortlisted for the 2023 Walter Scott Prize for Historical Fiction. I do not read a whole lot of historical fiction. I don't feel like, you know, the thing is, like, I don't want to read about the same old thing. And I feel like a lot of times historical fiction, we're really good at World War II. You know, like we are so good at World War II and very important historical event, but there is more to history than World War II. So I, if I'm going to read a historical fiction, it needs to be a little bit different. So this one sounds super interesting to me. So it's the story of Tehamana, the child bride and muse of Paul Gauguin, who was a French artist. So it is written from her perspective. And so it deals with French colonialism, Christian missionaries, and the indigenous people of Polynesia. Mm. And so this sounds super fascinating to me. I, I like the colors of Paul Gauguin's art. But what intrigues me most about this is that it's not told from his perspective. It is told from the perspective of somebody who has never been given a voice. Mm. And I always love that in a story. So I'm super interested to read it. Again, it's called I'm Not Your Eve by Devika Panambalam. Is she Polynesian? Of Polynesian uh, descent? Let's see. The author was born in Brunei mm-hmm. and grew up in London. I think now she lives in Scotland, I believe. Brunei. I don't even know where that is. Tiny okay. on the island of Borneo. Hmm. So the remainder of the island is divided between Malaysia and Indonesia. That sounds super intriguing to me. That does sound interesting. Good one, Carrie. Thank you. Good Thank one. You. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I need to go take a break. I, I need to go drink some more hot tea for my <clears throat> for my throat <laughs> since I'm nursing the slight baby cold. After this one, we only have two episodes left uh, for season nine. Next week, we are going to talk to the graphic Graphic. memoirist, Kelsey Ervick, about her book, The Keeper. Uh, And so we will see you next week. Happy reading. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover.pod or on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. To send us a message, go to our website and click the contact button. If you're wondering what to get the hard-to-buy-for person in your life for the holidays, and I'm talking here about Amy, consider leaving a positive review on your favorite podcast platform for the Perks of Being a Book Lover. This would be the best gift you could ever possibly give her. If only it would fit in my stocking. Finally, a huge thank you to Ford Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at fordradio.org.